Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Thank you for joining me. My name is Andrew Dore. I'm your host for this week's edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. Before we jump off, I'll do what I do every week and just remind you that what you're about to hear today should not be construed as individual investment advice, but instead is more just my opinion and our firm's opinion on what's going on in the market. And I hope it's helpful for you as you're determining your path. But if you have questions or would like to know how this may apply to your individual portfolio, I'd encourage you to give us a call. Well, let's take a look. Last week was a pretty slow week in the market. It was slow in what we learned. It was slow in what happened. Volume for the S&P 500 was down pretty dramatically last week, about 6.2% lower than what we've seen so far on average this quarter. And that was even after a pretty big day in volume on Tuesday. The market did take a step back. It was down about 3% for the week. But I think really what this week was, was folks covering their bets heading into what is going to be a very big week this week. As we've talked about in the last couple weeks, we have the last two big expectation moments in the market going to be happening on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. We have the CPI read on Tuesday, and that CPI read is going to inform a lot of what we expect and what we'll see on Wednesday when Chairman Powell and the Federal Reserve meet for the last time of the year. And they release not only what they're going to do on interest rates, which I think is largely set, but also they're going to give us their summary of economic expectations which will give us a good guide into how high rates are going to go into the future. So we're going to take this kind of quiet week and we're going to use it as an opportunity to go through some other stuff. But before we do, let's just talk a little bit about what we learned this week in the market and what it meant for this upcoming week and the Fed meeting. Again, most of the data that we saw confirmed the story that we've really been saying for the last 30 days or so, which is the economy is a bit stronger than the Fed would like, but inflation continues to fall. And I would point to four specific numbers that came out this week. First was global composite PMI, which came out, I believe, on Monday. That number fell from 48.2 to 46.4, but it came in above the expectation of 46.3. Same goes for services PMI. It fell from 47.8 to 46.2, but was above the expectation of 46.1. Then there's core PPI. It fell from 6.8% to 6.2% year over year, but it came in above the expectation of 5.9. And then there was just PPI, which fell from 8.1 to 7.4, but again was above the expectation of 7.2. You get what I'm saying here, right? The numbers were better than they were last month, but they weren't as good as people were hoping. The assessment, it's good. It's not great. It did not do a thing to change the market's expectation of what's going to happen at Wednesday's Fed meeting. Last week at the end of the week, or the week prior, excuse me, at the end of the week, there was a 78.2% chance on the CME Fed predictor of a 50 basis point hike coming up later this week. At the end of last week, so seven days later, where were we at? 78.2% chance. It had not moved one-tenth of a percent. The sentiment didn't move at all. Frankly, I think it's the only time I've ever seen it do that over a full week pretty good, nothing bad. I would say there was one data point that stood out to me personally, and that was the University of Michigan. They come out with their summary of, or their survey on consumer expectations, 
One of the things that's in there is their survey on inflation expectations. You may recall us talking many times on here about how one of Chairman Powell's biggest concerns was if consumers' expectations of inflation started to grow. Because there is this idea that inflation can beget inflation. It can become its own sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. And so this is a data point that Powell has watched closely, so I think it's worth us watching closely. And what did we see this week? We saw that the expectation was that the uh, the number would come in at 4.9%. It actually came in at 4.6%. So this was a little different than what we saw with everything else last week. It actually fell more than was anticipated, which is a good thing. But I also think that's a pretty remarkable number because that is the lowest read that we have seen on consumers' expectations for inflation since June 25th, 2021, so almost 18 months ago. That's good news. It's it's a pretty dramatic drop from 5.4, which is where we were in the middle of the summer. So we are starting to see some regression there, and it's certainly not doing what Powell was concerned about, which is getting out of control. We'll see. Big week this week. But now let's dive into something else, because when I started this podcast and when we started writing these memos, we wanted it to be two things. We wanted it to A, be good and interesting market commentary and something that you could use as as a guide for the decisions you're making. But we also wanted it to tackle issues related to financial planning, because financial planning is just as important as investment performance, in my opinion, and I think in in most people's, you know, most professionals' opinion in this business. But this year, we have gotten so much wrapped up into what's going on with inflation and the Fed and everything else that some of these financial planning discussions have kind of fallen off the radar. And so I, I did want to take a moment. It was a quiet week. There is one big issue happening right now in Washington that I think is worth tackling and addressing and making sure we're on the same page on. It's not guaranteed anything's going to happen yet, but that is the way things go in Washington. So let's dive into it just a little bit here. You may recall four years ago, I guess it was now, during the Trump administration, Congress passed and President Trump signed a bill called the SECURE Act. And that bill changed some of the long-term rules that we've had around retirement plans. And one of the things it did was it raised the required minimum distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. It also changed how the rules work with inherited IRAs. When someone passes away and you inherit that IRA money, you now have 10 years to take it out instead of potentially over your lifetime. So there were, there were some significant changes, but I would argue they were changes that were beneficial long-term to investors. And the current Congress is hoping to pass an update to that bill. They're calling it Secure 2.0, and they're hoping to get it done in the lame duck session before the end of this year. It is actually a rare moment of bipartisanship on Capitol Hill, not something we see a lot of, but it's also something that I think you need to understand should it become law. So let's just walk through a couple of the really big changes that this bill would make to how retirement plans function. The first, probably one of the most obvious to people, one of the most headline grabbing, is that it is going to make 401k enrollment automatic. So any employer that has a 401k plan, as soon as an employee becomes eligible, they will be automatically enrolled in the 401k plan at an automatic contribution rate of 3%. That contribution rate would also ramp up annually by 1% until it reaches a rate of 10%. Really what this piece of the bill is trying to do is force people to save 
for retirement. What Congress doesn't want to say out loud, but I think we'll say the quiet thing loud, is Congress knows that Social Security isn't going to make it. Social Security, as we all know, is failing financially. And if people are not saving for their own retirement, they're going to find themselves potentially in hot water. And so Congress is trying to force people to save for retirement by making these contributions automatic inside the 401k plan. The second big thing is that Congress is going to up the catch-up contributions that folks are allowed to make. Many of you who are on this, listening to this, may be over the age of 50, and you know that if you have a 401k plan, you get to add an extra $5,000 to the maximum contribution each year once you hit age 50. Or if you're contributing to an IRA, that number is $1,000. That's a great thing. That's, that's a wonderful thing for retirement savers. It's a wonderful thing for tax planning that you can you can add that extra amount in there. What this current bill would do is raise that number from 5,000 a year to 10,000 a year for 401k plans or 403b plans. That's awesome. But what the catch is is that all of those catch-up contributions must now be made post tax. They're now Roth contributions. So it does nothing to lower your taxable income. So it is going to take one tax planning tool away from those savers who are above age 50. Another one, another big one, student debt. I think we all know that student debt is an issue. I think there are a many myriad of opinions about how to fix it. We'll leave that for another day. But one of the problems that Congress has noted that makes it difficult for people to save for retirement is they have to put that money instead towards their student loans. Got to keep their student loan payments current. And by doing so, they're now foregoing the opportunity to have a match on their retirement savings that may be coming in from an employer. So what this bill does is it says, listen, as long as people are making payments to student loans, they would still be eligible for the employer match to be made into the 401k plan. That's, I think, very attractive. I think it's attractive for employers because it's going to reduce employer earnings, their taxable earnings, which is not a bad thing for people who are making money. And it is also going to start at least a small amount of savings for these folks that aren't able to contribute to the retirement plan because they're making student loan payments. This bill is also going to further delay RMDs. So again, the last SECURE Act took the required minimum distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. SECURE 2.0 would take it from 72 to 75. It will do so, however, in steps. So if this bill were to become law this year, next year, the new age would be 73. In 2029, that would bump up to 74. And in 2032, it would bump up to 75. And that's an acknowledgement by Congress that people are working longer, people are living longer. And I know for a lot of our clients who have very large retirement account balances, pushing that age off has the potential to be a really great tax planning tool because we like to take advantage of those years between retirement and RMD age for those folks that have really big balances because you have really very low income oftentimes during that time period. And we can utilize that time period to sneak money out of the 401ks and out of the IRAs, sneaks the wrong word, but get it out, do a Roth conversion at a lower tax level before you have to start taking RMDs that may come in at much higher tax levels. Stretching that time period would be very useful from a tax planning perspective. And then finally, 
The bill would also create a Roth-like emergency savings account within the 401k. It would allow people to contribute 3% of their salary into this as a Roth contribution, an after-tax contribution. That account would be 3% or a maximum of $2,500, excuse me. That amount would then be allowed to be invested. It would be allowed to grow. But if you needed to access it in the case of emergency, you could do so without penalty, which is one of the big problems with 401k plans, with IRA plans. You take money out before 59 and a half and you really get dinged by the government. So this plan would allow you to utilize that cash in the case of emergencies. We're still a few steps away from having a finalized bill voted on here in in both houses. It's quite possible this doesn't happen before the end of the year, and the process would then have to be completely restarted. It would have to go back through committee, back to the floor, voted on, et cetera, et cetera, in the new Congress, which starts in January. We'll see if that happens. But like all regulations around retirement planning, if this bill does become law, I think it will create some opportunities but it's also going to create some potential landmines that for smart investors, we're going to have to really pay attention to and make sure we're navigating around them. So we'll be watching this closely and we'll certainly keep you informed if this bill does become law about some of the changes we may need to make in retirement plans. We'll wrap it up there for this week. This upcoming week is really the last big week of the year. After we get done with this Fed meeting on Wednesday, the holidays are going to kick off. We're going to very quickly find ourselves in 2023, but this week is a big deal. So hang on tight. We will be back next week with a detailed examination of what Chairman Powell said, what the Fed did, what those interest rate decisions were, and and what they mean for our expectations as we go into 2023. It's going to be a fun week. I uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season, and we'll look forward to touching base with you next week. In the meantime, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to give us a call. 515-273-1333, or you can visit us on the web at www.insightwealthgroup.com. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I look forward to touching base with you again soon. Take care. Securities offered through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.